0: Hello, this is Tim, the lead pastor of Mosaic Portland, and welcome to the Mosaic Portland podcast. We exist to follow Jesus in authentic community for the world. And right now we're gathering Sundays online uh, to worship together and to open up scripture together. And then after that, we have virtual house gatherings that meet all over our city. And the great thing about these is that you can actually join in wherever you're listening from. We think these right now are the best way to be known, to connect with others, uh, and to be on mission together. They're also where we pray together on Sundays in smaller communities, where we take communion together and debrief what the talk was about and engage scripture more. If you want to find out more information of how to be a part of one in this season, you can find out more info on our website, mosaicportland.org. Now let's go to scripture together as we listen to this podcast. Welcome. My name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic, and Happy New Year. You made it to 2021. Uh, it's so good to be with you like this, whether you're watching with us on Sunday or you're listening or watching at some other time. Uh, thank you for for connecting in. And uh, as we start this new year, I wanna I want to start with a... Uh, a story of of Jesus. Um, Obviously, every time we we gather together, we meet in this way. Uh, We look to scripture and let God guide us through his word. Uh, But I wanna look and start this year with a a story that kind of came to me a couple weeks ago that just is really fitting. As I've reflected on my year, I'm sure as you've done that and and just so glad to put 2020 in the books and behind us. One of the things that I'm feeling, and you may be able to relate to this, is that uh, while we turn the page from 20 to 21, uh unfortunately everything doesn't just clear and get better and it all feels right and a fresh start there's there's some kind of new Type of disappointment that this year doesn't just mean everything is a fresh start, and I came across this story that is very familiar to me, and it may be to you as well, or maybe you'll hear it for the first time today. But it's in the book of Luke, and it's a story about Jesus, and appropriately so for us in this new year, is it's a story of resurrection. It's a story of after Jesus has been crucified and buried, he conquers death and he rises again. And I think we need to hear this story, um, but it might be for a little different reason than you may be thinking. But as we look in the book of Luke. In chapter 24, there is a story of Jesus when he meets a few of his followers and they miss him. And he goes through this conversation with them and then they, then they see him and they, and they get it. They get him. And so I, as you'll hear, I think this is very appropriate and helpful and hopeful for us in, in this new year. So I want to share this story with you. And, and as we move through the story, I want, I want you to be listening for three things. I want to identify a feeling. Uh, that is present in the story, and I think is present in many of us, uh, I want to remind us of a truth about who Jesus is. And it's a, it's a part of Jesus that is represented all the way through the Bible, through God's story. And we're going to see it in this story in particular. So identify a feeling, remind ourselves of a truth of, of who Jesus is. And the last thing is, is, a, is a, a new word. It's not actually a, a new word for the English language, but it's a new word maybe for us as we start this year. So Luke chapter 24, uh, and, and where we're going to pick up is after Jesus has resurrected from the dead and, and some women have actually already interacted with him, there's this story in, that's unique to Luke, and, and, and listen to it there. We pick up in verse 13, and it says two, two men are, are leaving Jerusalem uh, after Jesus has been buried, and this is three days after, uh, and they're, they're returning home. And so verse 13 starts with this. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. Again, maybe that's a familiar story to you. Maybe you're like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Um, But what's going on here is Jesus has risen from the dead on the third day and he's interacted with some women. And then when we pick up our story, he, he meets these two men who were his followers, who would have recognized him and known who he was. And he just shows up between them as they're walking to this seven mile journey from Jerusalem back home to Emmaus. And they don't, they don't look at him closely. They don't recognize him. And Jesus starts this conversation with, Hey, what are you guys talking about as you walk along? And they're like, what, where have you been? How have you missed out on this? And and he's like, what what things have I missed out on? And, then, and they actually articulate to him their disappointment that he is dead. They don't recognize him, that Jesus has been crucified and they had placed all their hope in that Jesus was going to redeem Israel and all that they wanted and hoped for. And And Jesus is the one actually talking to him. So first feeling that I want to identify that I can identify with, and I'm guessing more than a few of you can. And it shows up in our story here as the, as the word downcast, their faces were downcast. And, uh, here's a, here's a good story. I think kind of captures what many of us have experienced this last year, for for sure. The last nine months, Uh, a friend at Mosaic shared this with me, uh, just recently. Um, her, uh, her daughter is in third grade, um, and was on a zoom classroom meeting and, uh, mom was walking around the house listening to the meeting a little bit and that the question that was in this this classroom at this time that her uh, daughter was in line to answer was what do you want for christmas and so a uh, friend from mosaic is kind of buzzing around the kitchen and half listening into her daughter in her classroom on zoom and her daughter's turn comes up to answer the question and she says uh, what i want for christmas is there to be less fighting in my house i want the fighting in my house to stop. Now, if you're a parent, probably what happens is the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you get a little chilled and you're like, no, Like, how do you reach in and stop that and reverse time? And there's there's not a lot you can do. Like, It's, it's, it's out. It's gone. It's there. There's a whole classroom of other third graders who now know what the context and quality of your home has been like for the last nine months, that there's been too much fighting. And third grader is now reporting to the rest of the class and the teacher that there's too much fighting in my home and that's what I really want for Christmas. And so unable to stop that moment, waited till it was done and over and out of the classroom and sat down with her daughter and said, honey, what's going on? I didn't think there's been that much fighting. And what what are you experiencing? What are you feeling? And her daughter said, well, um, I I could have said something like I want a, a toy or a doll for Christmas, but I just felt like I should tell the truth. <laughs> she said, well, what's going on? And it turns out she's fighting with her sibling a lot, and there wants to be less fighting, and which is a huge relief as parents. If it's all about the siblings, that's much better than mom and dad fighting or something like that. But she said, it's, I just want there to be less of that. I want there to be more peace. And, that kind of thing. and then she also added in this, which is very perceptive, I think, for an eight- or nine-year-old, a third grader, to say. It's like, I actually feel ashamed that I said that. So what I love about that story, one, it wasn't my kid. I love that about the story. Uh, two, it, uh, it mirrors a lot of the same things that I and the people I'm close to, my family and friends have been able to identify have been going on this year, that there's, there's stuff in life that I wish wasn't there, um, that there's actually a lot of difficulty, a lot of tension, a lot of hardship, uh, a lot of, of grieving. It's one of the reasons we're offering a class starting next week on processing grief because there's so much loss over the course of this last year for so many of us. I love that about the story is it's true. There's things that are going on that we don't want to go on. The other part of it that I love about it is that there's actually shame that goes on. Some of us have been able to identify, I have not dealt with this year well. I have not responded in the way that I want to respond. I have not been the kind of person that I want to be in this last year. I'm really appreciative of my friend being willing to share that kind of glimpse into their life and their family in that little episode that happened on Zoom between a third grader in our classroom, sitting around the kitchen table. But I think many of us can identify it, whether you live alone or live with a partner or you're married or you have a family, many of us can relate to that. There's an imagery that, or an image that I've, I've kind of grasped onto this past year that for me is really helpful to capture what I've felt and experienced through the year. And it goes along with feeling downcast, of, of feeling grief, of feeling disappointment of hardship in this year. But the, but the image is this, it's of a, of a pond that has, has been drained in some way. And, and, and this is what I think our year of, of COVID has been like. With all of the restrictions, with all of the, the challenges that come along with it, it's as if a pond has, has been drained, but the water has been removed somehow. And as the water level goes down, What becomes visible, what becomes exposed, is a lot of things that are typically hidden that are underneath the surface. But as the water level goes down, we get to see more. And some of the things might be something that we really like, that we've lost and missed and now are glad to see. But the other side is probably what we're more familiar with is things in our life have been exposed that we didn't know were there or wished were not there. And as the water level goes down, as the uniqueness and the challenges of this year expose more in our life, we see things that maybe we wish weren't there. Maybe there's a few things that we are glad that are there, but more likely than not, what we're feeling and sensing and experiencing is this, I wish this was different in my life. Now, as I say that, and as as we identify this feeling of being downcast or being disappointed or being sad or grieving, And as these people in this story, these these two guys, we know one of their names is Cleopas. We don't know the other's name. Their hopes and dreams have been revealed. The water level has been lowered in their own experience over just these last few three days that Jesus has been in the tomb. What happens is as the water level goes down, it reveals things in life. It reveals their hopes. They actually say in the last verse that we read there that we had hoped that he was the one going to redeem Israel. And now what's more, it's been three days since all of this happened. That their hopes are revealed. When hardship and crisis enter into our life and the water level is lowered, there's things that get revealed and exposed in our life. And one of those things is the things that we hope for. There's can be other things that we don't like, but the things that we hope for. And as we we say, this is what I wanted it to be. This is what I was thinking it would be. I I had another, uh, um, in our house gathering, the house gathering that I'm a part of, we had somebody share. uh, This was a number of months ago, but they actually shared this. And this is so helpful. They said, uh, you know what? I've always believed that I did not have a prosperity gospel. You might know what that means, but if, if you don't, let me, let me define it for us. A prosperity gospel. The gospel being, the second part of that term, the gospel being the story of Jesus, that God sent his son to this world to live, die, and rise again. That Jesus is and his story is the good news, the gospel. It's what what offers us hope, salvation, redemption, and restoration with the God of the universe. The the word that's in front of that is prosperity. And when those are used together, it means that, that prosperity gospel, that the story of Jesus actually leads to prosperity in this world, primarily meaning finances and material wealth, secondarily meaning health and those kinds of things. Maybe you've heard the term health and wealth gospel before. But here's my friend on our house gathering on the screen on a Sunday saying, you know what, as I'm going through this year, I realized that I always believed that I did not have a prosperity gospel, but as the water level has gone down, one of the things that's revealed in my life is that I actually have a minimum prosperity gospel. I don't have a prosperity gospel like that, that I need to have be wildly wealthy or anything like that, or they need to have perfect health, but I had a minimum prosperity gospel. And what it's revealed is that I needed nobody in my life to actually really be threatened physically in terms of their health, that I needed a minimum level of finances in order to know that life was still good and to be able to walk with Jesus. And for him, what he was sharing with our house gathering was this, this has exposed this. And now I'm having to actually hold that in front of Jesus and say, will you refine even this in me? If I can, I'd like to take us back to 12 months ago. Twelve months ago, as a church, as a mosaic, we started a series uh, called The Heart. And what we did in that series was we looked into Scripture and the biblical idea of what the heart is. Not, not this organ that's pumping in our chest, but, but when Scripture talks about the heart, it's something much deeper, far deeper than that. And I want to read a quote for us that we read in, in January of last year, of January of 2020. Now, as we're here, at the beginning of January of 2021. I want us to take it back to that because I think it, it helps connect for us where we are and, and where we're headed. It's by one of, if I can say this, one of my mentors, um, Dallas Willard, uh, one of my favorite authors and, and writers and theologians. And he says this, The revolution of Jesus is in the first place and continuously a revolution of the human heart. Listen to that again. The revolution of Jesus is in the first place and continuously a revolution of the human heart. Our life and how we find the world now and in the future, what we hope for, if I can say it that way, our life and how we find the world now and in the future is almost totally a simple result of what we have become in the depths of our being, in our spirit, will, and heart. And so I have to tell you this, as, as a pastor who felt led to preach through and teach through what the Bible has to say about the heart, and then right, right in the middle of that, enter into to COVID restrictions and all that 2020 became, and now to, to turn the page and to start a new year, it's humorous in... A divine sense. It's funny that God would lead us in this way, if I can say it that way. That the water level was lowered on all of our hearts and more was revealed. I think God's doing something in and through us that in the midst of of walking through this life and having Jesus actually show up in the midst of our downcast, that we may actually miss him. That part of the reason that we're downcast, that we're sad that we're struggling is maybe we haven't actually realized that Jesus is right there with us. And that's the truth. If the feeling that we can identify as being downcast in some way, that the truth is that Jesus is actually right here with us. And many of us miss it. I, uh, one of my sons, uh, was on the swim team at his high school. Uh, and when they would, uh, do swim meets, he would write on his hand. If you don't know this, and I think I may have shared this before, but, um, one of the things I learned in, in cheering for him and watching him be on the swim team was that the swimmers write the, their lane numbers and those kinds of things on their arms and pen throughout the swim meet. That's how they keep track because they're almost literally not wearing anything else. And so they didn't have any place to keep a tag or anything like that. So they would write on their arm. And, and he would add to it J1-9 and it stood for Joshua 1-9 and became one of his most influential verses in his life to this point. And then Joshua 1-9 uh, says, says this, have I not commanded you? to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For I, the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. Early on in the, in the Old Testament, in the story of God in scripture, we have this truth that is, that, that God is with us wherever we go. Much, much after that truth is introduced and it's introduced in so many other ways throughout the Old Testament the prophecy is fulfilled that Jesus comes and is born as we've just gotten through the Advent season, that Jesus showed up here to humanity in the flesh, fully God, fully human. And then spends time with some three, three years with disciples and leading them. And then it's crucified, is buried, and conquers death, rises again, and then spends some, several weeks with his disciples. And the last thing that he says to them at the end of Matthew as he ascends is that, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I'm always with you, even though I'm returning to heaven, I'm going to be with you I'm going to be right there walking with you wherever you go. And later on, and a friend just showed me this verse uh, just the other day, but in in Acts, later on, some some few years later, Paul meets Jesus, is totally transformed, and then goes into other cities where nobody knows the name of Jesus. And he steps into the place where all the teachers and the philosophers would be discussing. And in Acts chapter 17, Paul walks into the Areopagus and he begins to talk and engage with teachers and philosophers who don't know the name of Jesus. And he starts telling the story of God, that the God that you're seeking is actually the God who created everything. He created every person for a particular time and puts them in their time and their place. And he ends that part by saying in chapter 17 of the book of Acts in verse 27, that God is never far off, meaning God is always near. That God is always near with us. As we step into a new year, if I can invite you to consider this, is to both look back and to look forward, to look back of all the experience of your last year and know this, that God is near, that Jesus was actually there walking with you through all of it. As I say that, please do not hear me say that it feels like Jesus is with us every bit of the way. It didn't for me. I'm sure it doesn't for you. And it hasn't for you this last year. So it's not just a feeling that Jesus is there, but it is a truth, and we need to be reminded of the truth that Jesus is with us, which means as we look back over the course of the last year and we recount all of the the things that we experienced, would you go back and think through all of those things, even allow yourself to feel them again, to recount them in your mind and your heart, but this time knowing that Jesus is walking right there with you, that he's not far off. It it doesn't say that, that Jesus is with you when you make holy and pure and godly decisions. It says that Jesus is with us at all times, even when we realize now that the water level is lower that we've not responded in some of the ways that we wanted to, but that Jesus is there. And as I do that, for me, as I look back over the last year, what are the things for me that I've had to go back and go, Jesus, you were right there. And even during the year to to challenge myself to do that. And so I've had to say things like, "Um, Jesus, I I hate that this is happening. I really had hoped that this was different and not this way. And to tell Jesus that I, I don't like that this is how it is. This is not comfortable. It's not what I consider good right now. I wish it was differently. The other thing I've had to do is to to wrestle with Jesus and to say, Jesus, I actually am excited and hopeful that some things are changing, that some things will never go back to whatever normal was, in quotes. (laughs) And we know that's true. For some of us, our coping mechanism is to hold our breath and to say, things will go back to normal. And I hate to be a downer if that's you, but things are not going to go back to normal. Things will forever be changed. And I'm sorry if you'd rather wait till later January to hear that, and it's only the third, and I'm sorry about that. But that's just the truth. We know that. We know that some things in business practices will never be the same, that commercial real estate is completely upside down and changed, that people will work from home from now in different ways than they ever had before. Some things will never change. And there's actually part of that that I'm hopeful and excited for. And if I can say this, it's what it means for the church, that I think we have opportunities as followers of Jesus in the world today to be the church in some new ways. We're going to be talking about that in the weeks and months to come, but some things will not go back just to what was things will be new and different. And I think there's a lot to be hopeful and excited for in that I've had to wrestle with Jesus knowing he's walking right there next to me this past year with things that I don't understand and that are very difficult, but that I actually think are good in the long term. And one of those for me has been dealing with what I'm going to call racial truths, and the need for restorative justice, as that was something that was exposed in a new way, in another way for us as a nation, for us as a city for certain, and I really do hope for us as a church. And how is it that God's calling us to walk with him right next to us into things that are confusing and unknown and uncomfortable, but he's saying, we're not going back to normal. There's new opportunity. There's new ways for you to be the people of God in a new age, in a new time. And so while even it's foggy and it's not super clear, I think God's doing something in that. And so Jesus being with us and us being able to identify that in the moment you're here, you're walking with us. Jesus is a truth that we need to live into and step into in a new way in this year. Here's the last thing is the word. I think, I think there's a word for this as we look into the new year. And, uh, it is, a, is a word that actually showed up in the quote from Dallas Willard. So I want to read that again. And, uh, And tell you what I think is a helpful and necessary uh, and guiding word for us this next year. Listen to Dallas's words again. The revolution of Jesus is in the first place and continuously a revolution of the human heart. Our life and how we find the world now and in the future is almost totally a simple result of what we have become in the depths of our being and our spirit, will, or heart. Here's a word that I think in that is is helpful and guiding for us this year. It's the word simple. Simple. And, and I think why it is so helpful, and I, as God guides us as a church into this next year, I think as we start with Jesus on a daily, regular basis, there are some simple habits and some simple ways and simple rhythms that Jesus uses, that he modeled in his own life and he invites us into that help us connect with God in a very complex world of how we start with Jesus and realizing he's right there with us. He's never far. He is always near. And that truth can drift away and be very far away. And so there's some ways to pull that into our daily minute by minute experience. And again, in some really simple habits, simple rhythms that Jesus modeled for us that we can bring into our lives. And so in the coming weeks, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on simple ways that we can start with Jesus in a in a very complex world, I think we need that. As the water level has exposed for me and for you, things in our life that we wish were different, there are some simple handles that we can hold on to that can help us connect with Jesus in a very complex world. So, feeling, truth, and a word. I want to pray for us as we, as we start this year and ask that God would guide us and lead us, heal us, form us, and use us in new ways in this year. So, let's pray together and then we'll continue to sing. Jesus, we declare the truth that you are near, that you're alive and that you are not far away, but that you are very close. So you desire to walk with us, that we actually would have the exact same experience that those two men, those two disciples of you that did not recognize you on the road to Emmaus, that as they were walking along and you later revealed yourselves to them and that they were able to use and and remember the conversation they had with you and that to use the language of their hearts were burning inside of them when they heard the truth from you as you opened the scriptures with them, as you spoke with them, as you broke bread with them. Would that be true of us? Would you help that to be true of us? Would we grow in our ability to see and hear and walk with you on a day-by-day basis? And as that happens, would you heal us? Would you transform us? Would you restore us? Would you empower us? And would you use us in in this city, in this time, in your world. In Jesus' name, amen.